Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. And then finally, I just decided at the same time to do something for fun. And my wife 
I wrote our first kids book. It's called Flipbook and the Miserable Means. And it's not a Christian book at all. It's a story about bullying and friendship. And it's a story about a little penguin girl who has red hair. Okay, three of you understand what the problem is already. She's got red hair and she's a penguin. They're black and white. It doesn't work. And this is a story of what happens to her. We'll have all those available. I'd love for you to just take a look at them and talk to us about them. And we just want to bless people with them. Uh, I, I basically uh, write books, sell them, and then use the money to write the next book. That's kind of how it works. And uh, yeah, there's a three-year hiatus there. That's how long it took me to write. And I really do it right. And uh, I hope that they'll just bless people. Today, what I wanted to do was just take a few moments and talk to you about this important topic that I mentioned in the same project about spiritual warfare. And uh, I believe that God has given me a message that is uh, one that's kind of forgotten in the church world today. One that we, we kind of tend to just kind of slough off or we ignore. But uh, I want to take you back for a moment to a period of what I call one of the darkest periods of the 20th century, 1933 to 1945. And upon the conclusion, the truth about the enemy was beyond comprehension. Gas chambers, crematoriums, Auschwitz, mass murder. Enslaved people so thin and advancing that they look like walking skeletons. Entire families annihilated. Their names and faces buried in unmarked mass graves. Over six million men, women, and children died during that time, not because of military battles, but because they were murdered one by one by fellow human beings. History's unhealed wound, the Holocaust as we know it, became known as World War II. Now the world was shocked. Uh, how could this happen to a civilized society, people said? How could human beings take part in such calculated evil? Uh, why didn't someone oppose this Adolf Hitler? Theologians, uh, historians, presidents, leaders, average citizens asked themselves the same question. Why? Why? Was it prejudice and greed, a struggle for uh, you know, resources, uh, a personal vendetta to create a super race? Or was it just one man, Adolf Hitler? Uh, with his uncanny charisma and ability to organize people around a cause that created social pressure to conform. The human race wanted a scapegoat for the Great Depression, if you look back on it. And so Hitler gave them Jews and Gypsies and Slavs, and a blind obedience to a government was the demand. And it all became part of this equation of war. Still the question on humanity to this day. Why? We tell ourselves that could not happen again. Now, World War II is over. It's a footnote in the page of history, and mankind is seemingly beyond this. But today, I'm asking you not to be lulled to sleep by the last 40, 50 years of no problems in society like that. We can't be fooled by what we would call pseudo-peace. We, we have to believe this with all our heart, that evil does exist. But it's not the evil that you suspect. And today, I don't want you to think about people. I want you to not think about the enemy you can see, you can smell, or you can touch. I believe there's an enemy that is far more sinister than Adolf Hitler, more twisted than modern society, more evil than the most insidious crime. An enemy whose sole purpose is to seek and murder individuals like you and I. A battle which has raged since the dawn of time. Safe in America, safe in our homes, is so easy for us to forget that we are at war. And it is a war of good versus evil, a battle for the soul of every human being born on this planet. And none of us are exempt from this war. In fact, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, 
or we even acknowledge the fact that it exists, we are at war. Now Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that we're in the midst of a great struggle. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the greatest lie of our generation is that somehow as human beings, we, we tell ourselves, we, we somehow figure this out, that it's within our power to overcome evil. We believe that. Others believe that government and social systems will solve the problems. Give it time, we say. Create some laws. We'll be able to fix everything. Philosophers will pontificate that mankind doesn't need a creator, a god, to fight our battles. We are fine on our own. And even the modern-day church and modern-day Christian church seems to be no different. Content with our lattes and our bagels and our flashing lights and our, our haze and our mirrors and all of the stuff that we put together to call church, we get ourselves settled into this winter nap of contentment. As long as the, the seats look full, as long as the bills are paid, we think we're doing okay. And in our quest to live in a culturally sensitive society, we have become dull and desensitized to the concept of spiritual warfare. And then you walk in your day and go, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. Good, you're right where you're supposed to be. This is what God has for you today. The evidence supports the theory that the struggle is real. And so our only answer as a living, breathing, spiritually aware Christian is that we are at war. But I cannot be content to shove those musings about spiritual warfare and principalities and powers in the heavenly uh, places as somebody else's problem or for the church to solve. We love to do that, you know, the church, the church, society, government. And somebody gives a catch-all for everything and we take no responsibility for ourselves. I have to ask myself, am I at war? And I believe upon self-examination, I am concluding that the struggle is real. That there is a battle between good and evil. Satan and his demons uh, are fighting a heavenly realm, a heavenly war against God and his angels. And there is a war between Satan and Jesus. And according to phrase, an epic war to end all wars between my whole sinful nature and my hopefully renewed mind. Now the difference between this and World War II is that it's not about land and power and riches or natural resources. The war here, right, is for souls. And the consequences of losing this war are eternal. Anyone versed in the strategy of uh, fighting a war or going up against some other opponent knows that the first rule of war is to know your enemy. That's why professional teams, right, when they're going to play a game, they scout the opponent. They see what they're all about. Understand their intent. Understand their strengths. Decide for the methods of warfare deployed by the enemy. And, and this is what I know, right? Satan is our enemy. And so, if he's our enemy, we got to know a little bit about him. we got to know how he's thinking, how he's going after things, how he's going to be approaching us. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Satan is a deceiver. So we know that about him. It stands to reason that he was bold enough to tempt Jesus later in life. He's going to tempt us. And so we're not exempt from any of these things. 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us, be alert. 
Be sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to destroy, looking for someone to devour. Satan is a powerful enemy with the dark forces of this world in his hands and all of evil to be able to do what he wants. Now, when you're doing God's will, when you're living with for God, and, and you're working for his kingdom, Satan then, what does he do? Does he step back and let you just do your thing? No, he comes after you even more. He's going to attack those that he is seen doing something good. The moment you got out of bed this morning, did you know this? The moment you got out of bed, Satan was trying to attack you not to get you to come to church. Anything he can do to get you off track. So we have to be on guard and know the tactics of our enemy. That evil spirits and, and dark forces of the spiritual world are under the dominion of Satan. That Satan is our enemy. And there are dark forces under his dominion. And I mean, just as you think about it, have you, have you ever had a moment where you just really knew that it was all about what Satan was after? That you, you kind of like, in a way, you encountered him. And I believe sometimes we don't even know sometimes that we're doing that. Being face to face with Satan or the devil or Lucifer or Abaddon, calling what you want, is a very real and frightening experience. And I, I've become intrigued by this subject. And I think that sometimes we, uh, we sensitize the whole battle of good and evil. We think Satan with a little pitchfork and he's running around and stabbing people and ha 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 laughing on our shoulder and he's the only, he's this little character, but really there's so much more to him, so much more danger and so much more awareness that we have to have as Christians, and we are just aware of those kind of things. I mean, why do we walk around the streets? Do we just do dumb things? We'll walk around the nighttime in the dark? We lock our doors? Why do we do all that, right? To protect ourselves from human beings, and yet we do nothing to, to defend ourselves against Satan. We just go about our life acting as if somehow it's all good. And so I've become intrigued by this. And, and in my book, The Satan Project, I, I did this re-imaging, and I did a story where uh, Job encounters Satan, and I said it in modern-day times. And so I want to just read a portion of it to you and invite you to picture yourself as the victim, as Job. I waken to hands around my throat. Not just my throat, but my arms and legs. Trust like a pig for market on a human straitjacket. A sweaty palm is clamped over my lips. I'm unable to speak. Fighting is not an option. Slowly I allow my eyelids to flicker open, but all I see are shadows and, and faint figures. Stale onions and cigarette breath taint the air, and I feel the urge to vomit, fight back, fly. Faint blow of my bedside lamp. Cast shadows that flip across the walls and the ceiling. And I understand the room is filled with assailants. The realization sparks rising panic. Struggling to breathe, I pop while simultaneously thrusting my body upward, attempting to free myself. But bony fingers deep with their probing, pressing harder, separating my muscles, tearing down my bones, nerve changing pain rips through my exhausted frame. Relax, Joe. And this won't get any uglier. Instant recognition flashes in my mind. I know the voice. I have seen the face. The same face leering from the gray SUV chasing me when all this started. The same face grinning at me in the coffee shop. The same smug, arrogant jerk who strolled into the heavenly council with Elohim and laughed at his angels. Abaddon has returned, and there are no pretenses. There's no escape. 
seen. And suddenly I question whether all of this is even real. It, it feels real. How could any of this possibly be? Is it all just a dream? The fingers crushing my larynx loosen slightly and allow garbled words to escape my mouth. Am I dreaming? Depends on your definition of dream, the voice responds. If you're talking a sunny daydream strolling through the park with your lovely bride on your arm, he paused dramatically, then no. But if you're thinking this is my worst nightmare come to life like Freddy Krueger with death in his hands, then yes. I feel the rush of his breath flowing into my mouth. Sick of that, I try to turn my head, but the powerful hands once again crush my neck and muscles. Pressed beyond my ability to resist, I am forced eye to eye with my sadistic torment. Our lips touch. Icy cold breath spews from his mouth and escapes through in his mouth and my nostrils. And yes, indeed, he practically spits. Now that's a dream worth remembering. Fear settles into the deep places of my mind. Finding no solace, it settles into my bones. Although I could fight, I cannot win. So I succumb. Like a frightened child under the blankets, I involuntarily squawk and punch. Poor, puny Joe, he cheers. All alone and forgotten. Be afraid of the big bad wolf, Joe. Lying still, I allow his words to, to rush over me like stormwater racing the drain. Do you feel it? He asks. The greasy, slimy tendrils of fear advancing through your veins. Hey, don't weep or beg, I tell myself. Don't weep or beg. Even though I fear for my life, I cannot, I will not give him the satisfaction. But no words register. I am powerless to utter a single solitary word of defiance or capitulation. My will to survive is slowly ebbing. If, if this is the end, I think I'm ready. Life is the only thing I have left to give. Everything else has been taken from me, so why fight? Get him up. The words suddenly rush out to someone beyond myself. It's time to go. Rough hands wrestle me to a standing position, and jerking my head back, I gaze once more into those deep, dark pools of blackness. I am face to face with Abaddon himself. He smiles and says, I don't succumb to fear. I create fear. And at that exact moment, my systems burst to life. I don't know if it's his words, his arrogance, or his weirdly offensive breath, my soul and nights my experience and my spirit and mustering my last ounce of energy grunting in pain I defiantly announce uh, what's growing stronger in my heart and I say though he slay me I will not lose hope in him and the only response was the sound I, I heard it before I felt it a faint whooshing like a bat firing, flying through the air. And sparks exploded before my eyes, but I felt no pain, no fear. Consciousness receded. Darkness was my new friend. 
Boas later silhouettes danced across the ceiling. My crust matted eyelids flickered once and then twice. A dust musty odor lingered in my nostrils. Rusty gurgles escaped from my burning throat, struggling to breathe. I, I popped and my depleted body lay in water. My mind screamed for answers. Where was I? Where was my family? Was I safe? Were they safe? What did Abaddon want? I'm going to tell you right now, man, I'm reading this and my heart is beating fast because I'm thinking to myself, this is the most important thing I'm ever going to tell you. I'll never have this group again. I'll never have these people in front of me. Satan is our enemy. And there are dark forces under the dominion of Satan. But we are at war and Satan wants to murder you spiritually. Spiritual warfare is real. <clears throat> Satan is our enemy. He loves to disguise himself in so many ways and, and give us other things to fight and to battle. And so for just a couple minutes, I'm going to throw some of these at you just to think about some of the ways he goes about this. The enemy is the culture and society that we live in. It's a place where we have deceived ourselves and been influenced by other people. And Colossians 2.8 reminds us and warns us, it says, See to it that no one, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic uh, elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So we all feel this pressure. This is the way Satan attacks us is through the American life, the American dream, to have more, to get bigger, to get better, to have more stuff rather than the sacrifice so we can help the poor and spread the gospel. Or maybe we have a battle to become beautiful and our clothes and our hair our computers and our phones and everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be right. And because of this pressure, we begin to compare ourselves to others and we struggle with low esteem and, and envy and we feel maybe the need to start doing things we haven't done before. That's how Satan attacks us. He finds what it is that's going to level you. And then he goes right forward. It's not always the things that we think about. Maybe it's the physical uh, encounter like I described in my reading, but maybe it's just something else. If we're not careful, we begin to accept more and more uh, incongruity, gray matter, soon sin into our lives without even recognizing that sin. Have you ever met somebody who just doesn't even realize they're lying? They're, they're flat out lying, but they don't even know they're lying because they lie so much because of second nature. And it's sort of like that feeling. Um, and none of us are exempt from this, really none of us. Satan and his, his demons, his horde, uh, they're just looking to deceive us, uh, finding ways for us to feel like we've got to compete, we've got to get more. I mean, have you ever just found yourself saying, why do I need this? Why am I buying this? Why do I want this? It's just this constant battle that we have to go through. The world just creates a powerful lure on our minds. But the world doesn't make me sin. I find that I do that quite easily on my own without very much prompting. I don't know about you, right? We fight against Satan's forces. We, we war against culture and society. But there's also another battle that's taking place, one that's internal, the, the, this war with our own sinful nature, right? Paul talked about that in Romans 7. He said, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. 
But instead, I can deliver everything I hate. I know perfectly well, well what I'm doing is wrong. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. I don't know about you, but I feel so good to read that because that's Paul. That gives me hope. It does. The sinful nature wars with our soul. It creates havoc with our sense of right and wrong. It, it plays with our mind and it undermines our faith. And that becomes really very evident in our fleshly and earthly desires. Now some people, how this works for them is they struggle with destructive habits like alcoholism, drugs, pornography, uh, other sins that we, those are easy to claim as like big sins, but addiction to work, uh, money, power, prestige. And so I was thinking about how I would make this come real for you, for me, because, you know, uh, Derek knows I've, I've taught him how to, how to preach, I've taught a lot of people how to preach. One of the things that's important, though, is that I don't just give you God's word and then just act like you're the only ones that need it. Like somehow I'm standing up here and I'm exempt from it all. But I'm not saved. And so I want to get real and personal with you for just a few moments and let you know that I have my own issues. And as I mentioned in my book that I wrote, uh, Soul Survivor of My Life as an Abandoned Child, I've learned that one of my number one struggles is security and love. Abandoned issues, right? Uh, a sense of loss all really scratched their wounds on my life and, and it's troubled me for many, many years. And our sinful nature then, what it does is it plays itself out in our fears. We start fearing things. And we all have fears. Fears of losing our friends or our family or our job or uh, losing a loved one uh, loss of freedom. Maybe fear of losing our own life. And what happens when fear comes in, fear that prevents us from doing God's will. And it also stops us from being accountable, from being honest with our feelings and our failings. And fear is a very powerful force in our lives. And our sinful nature then displays itself through our attitudes. The condition and the attitudes of our heart is manifested out in our words and in our actions, right? So, for example, when my wife and I have a, a strong disagreement, or dare I say, an argument, right? Let's be real about it. You ever met somebody who never had an argument? Just a disagreement. Alone. <laughs> okay, alone. It's always usually because uh, of my own selfishness and my own personal pride. Now, a lot of people don't always see that side of pastors or of leaders because they're not around them all the time. Uh, the side that loses this, that snaps at somebody, that even yells at somebody. And I wish I could stand before you and say that as a minister, as a professor, that uh, I'm exempt from all those internal struggles. I wish I had no sinful desires, no fears, and no sins of the heart. But I do struggle with my sinful nature every day. Why? As Paul said, we're going to. But it doesn't mean that we're stuck there. But it means that there's no reality. And so we can't deny that reality and try to live in some kind of supernatural faith world where we don't really deal with it. I uh, thought about maybe telling you some deep, dark story from my past, but I really felt like that the, those are kind of easy traps, you know, to look at something we did and, and uh, to talk about it like that was an event, a one-time event. But what I want to tell you is that for a long time, I've struggled with resentment. 
resentment toward people who had uh, a mother and a father. For years and years, I, I would look at people, even now I can get me. My wife will tell you, I'll, I'll watch some show on TV or movie, and this family's all together, and, and then something I'll just, you know, get broken up about because I never had that. I never had grandparents in my life. I never had a mom and dad in my life. And, and, and you know, I can still resent people who have that. And it took me a long time to get past that. And I'd love to be able to sit here and tell you that, you know, like everything's better now. That my mother and father who abandoned me, I have a relationship with them. I don't. My mother died a few years ago. I didn't even know she died until several months later. I never had a relationship with my mother, ever. My father is uh, someone I talk to. Uh, I communicate with him. I see him every few years, but he's not my father. He's like a, a, an acquaintance. Uh, I work hard to keep a relationship with him, but he's not there. And I, can, I, I tell you that because I don't want you to think that somehow it's all magically better. And sometimes things don't ever get better. They, they, they are what they are, or they are what they were. And uh, that's life. And we have to learn to deal with that. And that's exactly where the enemy wants to attack us. In those things, in those, those, those spots where we're weak, where we struggle, where we're hurting, where we have fear. And uh, that's exactly how we can lose ourselves. And, and, you know, it plays itself out, those fears, those, those hurts, and all kinds of ways in our life. And most often, they play themselves out in our relationships with other people. When we take it out on the ones we love. We, we don't even know why we're doing what we're doing. And, and uh, you know, for me, my, my sinful nature really became glaringly obvious in my life when I started having kids. And... And I saw that, you know, I was kind of like reviewing my life through them, remembering that suddenly I I was there and I had nothing. And instead of just like working harder to be a better parent, I found myself slipping back into my fears and my frustration and my anger and my resentment. And, and after a while, I didn't like what I saw. I, I, I felt like the dark side of my personality, my sinful nature was really beginning to consume me. And I knew the enemy was attacking me. Have you ever been in that spot where you know he's attacking you and yet you have no idea what to do? During that time of struggle, and something I still look to to this day, I found Romans chapter 7. Uh, verses 21 through 25, and I began to read it every day. And I, I'm just telling you this right now because maybe if I know someone's here and you need something to hold on to today. And if this if this makes a difference for you, I'm so glad because that's the power of the Word of God. It steps into our life and we need it the most. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. Uh, I'm going to read it to you from the message version because it's the one I read. And it just blew my, my brain up and it really changed my life. Here's what Paul said again when he, his struggle with sinful nature. Again, Paul, right? It happens so regularly. That's ridiculous. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing else. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can 
does. He acted to set things right for this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So there's no doubt that the, the sin nature is a powerful force in our lives. But I began to understand clearly that the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we talked about in our communion this morning was, was what rescued me from all the torment of sin and my sin nature. So I began to learn that there is victory over Satan, victory over sin, victory over this world, and victory over my sinful nature. Now as I said, there's no bystanders in this war. This is a world that no one is exempt from, no matter what age you are. You cannot hide. You cannot hope it goes away. You have then to prepare yourself to fight. If you've ever been in the rain, or you've ever been somewhere where you had to fight, you know what I'm talking about. There's no options but to pick up your weapons and defend yourself. And so what we do is we pick up God's armor and we take up our weapons that Jesus Christ has given us and we go to war. It's time that we stop sitting back trying to defend ourselves, bunker down in our little safety spot, in our little church, in our little world, and act like none of this is really mattering. What we need to do is go take the fight to it. never gonna happen. You ever seen a fight? A boxer? Not like a street fight. Those are not the same thing. Like a boxer or kickboxing or martial arts. No one wins by sitting in the corner covering up. You gotta go after them. And so if we're gonna do that, we're gonna have to have a game plan. So I think it's important that we start with the weapons that we already have. Now it'd be nice if we could get some new cool weapons, but we gotta start with what we have. So what are those weapons? Well, if you don't know, right? You should know. Where is it? Ephesians chapter 6. It, it tells us right there, plain sight, every weapon God has given us. So when the day of evil comes, it says at the end, that you will stand your ground. You can pick up your sword of truth and your breastplate of righteousness. And you can put on your, your, your helmet of salvation. You can do all those things. Weapons like the word of God. Uh, God's wisdom contained in the Bible. And that's really one of the reasons why I write. I write so that there's other materials for people out there to read, to learn, to grow. Because I believe that God speaks to us. Those good, wholesome, clean uh, things that cause us to really ponder who God is and get more strength in our lives. And that's the single most powerful weapon in the Bible that you can ever have to live a righteous life and to discern truth from lies. Weapons like praying strong prayers as well. A prayer that I'm going to pray over you today as we conclude in a couple of moments. Prayer specifically asking God to give you victory over the strongholds of the enemy. And so we, we, we do pray. I know we pray. We pray for prayers for the sick and for the hurting and all that. We also have to pray for prayers of spiritual warfare and asking God to, to build strongholds around us and to pray specifically to protect our families and our friends to defeat the enemy. And so we pray for those tearing down the strongholds as well. Prayers asking God specifically for us to clearly see how the enemy is attacking us. Now remember, we have to know our enemy. We have to know how he attacks. We have to know how to defend. And we have to be on our guard. Because Satan's major method of attack is to be covert and to be subversive. He doesn't just throw it out there for everybody to see. He wants you to kind of be not sure what's going on. He's a spy. He really is. He's living among us. He 
He's a master of taking advantage of our weaknesses and using them to destroy us. He's smart. He's savvy. He attacks our blind spots, the areas where we fail to see, places like the pain and the hurts of our childhood, our desires and our fears. But every single one of those points of attack are done so that he can erode and weaken our faith. So we don't underestimate Satan. We understand our blind spots. We look carefully at the mind games that he's playing with us, that we're playing with ourselves. And we ask ourselves, do we find ourselves rationalizing and adjusting, justifying what we're doing? Do we see the enemy at work? Do we see the spiritual warfare? And I wish that I could tell you that you won't have to fight a battle. I wish I could tell you that you won't have to live that kind of life. But I know that that's a lie, and I can't tell you that today. You will have spiritual warfare, and you will have that happen to your family. And I know that's going to be difficult at times, that there are bad things that happen, that there's a battle to keep our faith up through trials and tribulations. And sometimes our sinful desires will control us, and sometimes we will give in to the pressures of the world. But I want you to know that no matter how deep and hard and fighting the enemy is, our God is stronger, our God is better, our God is Make the 
right decisions of faith. We smash the small and of Satan forms against our bodies today. We give our bodies to you recognizing that we are your temples. We rejoice today in your mercy and your goodness. Enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be people who please you. Enable us to be aggressive in your prayer and prayer and faith. Enable us to be able to think and practice your word and to put you in the rightful place in our lives. You have proven your power by resurrecting Jesus Christ, your Son, from the dead. And we claim in every way this victory today over all the satanic forces in our lives and in this world. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with all thanksgiving. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.